listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. I'm going to start just by reading the text for this morning. Uh, It comes from the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. You can turn there. With me, if you like, I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. I'm going to start in verse 1 and read the first three verses, and then I'm going to jump down to verse 8. I'm going to kind of skip over that long list of names. We'll refer back to them, but we won't, we won't take the time to, to read them all. So beginning in verse 1 of chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that was to receive that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out not knowing where he was going. By faith he stayed for a time in the land He had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith he received power of procreation, even though he was too old and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful who had promised Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on earth, for people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland." If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would not have the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, He has prepared a city for them. Let's pray. God in heaven, we love you, and we are grateful for your love for us. As we gather here this morning, Lord, to worship you, we pray that your spirit would rest upon us, that it would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Hebrews is an interesting letter. And in fact, to call it a letter might be stretching its uh, genre beyond uh, its typical use. So, Uh, Some of you said your favorite class was English. Let's see your hands. Oh, wow, a lot of you, yeah. So for all you kind of English lovers, when we're studying literature and we learn different genre, we understand that there's like fiction and nonfiction. Those are two kind of broad categories. And so we have history or or we can have fantasy. We can have, um, help me out, science fiction, romance, uh, adventure, yeah. Mystery, like those. And so, so is the such with, with the literature that we find in Scripture. 
And Hebrews comes to us and it's kind of situated in an area that you might expect it to be a letter because the letters kind of start with Romans and they kind of make their way through Jude. So about 21 of the 27 New Testament books fit into this category of letter, generally speaking. I, I use the number there for you folks that like math. <laughs> but Hebrews, Hebrews actually doesn't open up like a letter. There's no I so-and-so write to you so-and-so. Like we don't have, we have no naming of the author, no greeting of the recipient. I mean, it does close like a letter. It says, those from Italy greet you and um, tell Timothy I said hello or something like that. So it ends a bit like a letter, but it's really just a sermon. It's a sermon that got sent. And at the end of the sermon, they said, well, everybody wants to say hello from, you know, the folks from Italy say hello to you. So what's this sermon about? Well, simply put, this sermon is about Jesus. And in particular, it's about Jesus and his uniqueness. That Jesus is the kind of one and only. Jesus is the superior way. Like there's no alternative. So it opens up, it doesn't even call Jesus by name. It starts off by talking in the way in which he, Jesus, is superior to the angels, but it calls him by his title, not by his name. It refers to him as the Son. The Son is superior to the angels. And then eventually, once we get down to talk about other people, you get that Jesus is superior to Moses. Like, Jesus is a better option than Moses. Jesus is superior to the high priest. He's not a descendant in the line of Aaron. He's more like Melchizedek. Melchizedek was this other kind of priest from Canaan who Abraham had gone to. And he doesn't quite fit into the story very well. Like, when Abraham got there, why was Abraham going to this priest? He doesn't really fit. I love those things that don't fit. I was in a conversation with a good friend this week, and he said, I brought up something, and he said, is that a contradiction or a paradox? And I'm like, well, what's the difference? He said, well, there's a big difference. And I'm like, are you sure? Or maybe, maybe a paradox is just a contradiction that we, we believe in. Like there's our systems are not sufficient to kind of hold the fullness of which we speak. I think this is an important point. I, we're Christians. We follow Christ. But we're not going to have a belief system that, that can entail all that is God. Right? God is more than what we can believe. We're, we're called to something greater than any system that we might come up with. And that's exactly what's happening here in the book of Hebrews. You have this this priest, like Melchizedek, I'm going to get real nerdy just for a second, and some of you are thinking, and that's different than normal? <laughs> but just for a second, for those Lord of the Ring fans, uh, where are you? Yeah, there you are. You're all cl clustered together. Robin, you missed your group. They're over here. Um, Melchizedek is to Hebrews as Tom Bombadil is to the Lord of the Rings. He's, he's the priestly figure outside the, outside the storyline. All right, now back to, for the rest of us. So Jesus is, is superior to the angels. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to the high priest. He's superior to the sacrificial system. 
Like the, the system itself, the system that had been established by God, is now, with Jesus on the scene, redundant. In fact, it's become useless. And this is exactly how I understand an earlier passage in Hebrews. You'll just have to listen on this one. We're not going to put it on the screen for you. But you've heard this before. This is Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, for those of you who grew up Baptist, Baptist folks, yep. Robin, you didn't raise your hand. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> this was always a problematic text. It says this in Hebrews 6. It says, Therefore, let us go on toward perfection, leaving behind the basic teaching about Christ, not laying again the foundation, repentance from dead works and faith toward God, instruction about baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we will do this if God permits. For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away since on their own they have crucified again the Son of God and are holding Him up to contempt. Now, I read that passage as a child. I read the Bible as a child. I was always a nerd. I read that passage as a child, and I'm like, uh-oh. It's impossible to return again to forgiveness if you've fallen away. So uh, some churches um, don't believe in, to, I'm going to use my Appalachian language here, uh, backsliding. Heard that term before? Yes. Yeah. Other churches do believe in backsliding. I grew up in a church. We believed in it. We believed in backsliding so much that we practiced it. <laughs> we just, it wasn't just a possibility. It was like a certainty. Right? So we didn't just get born again. We got born again again. And we'd get born again 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 again. And we just kept getting born again and again and again and again. Right? We got saved a few times during the year, every year at youth camp. Um, you know, we just constantly losing our salvation. We, would, we talked about salvation, about our relationship with God, as though it was your car keys. Like, that, as easy as it was to misplace your car keys, it was that easy to kind of fall out of relationship with God. Like, we'd say, you know, when you die, you're going to heaven? Well, I hope so. I mean, have, do you, are, you, are you sure in your, in your, in your salvation? Well, Hopefully, you know, it's like, are you saved? Well, let me check. I just ha I had my salvation on me just a minute ago. Where did, I've lost it. Like, I have to re retrace my steps and go back and find where I left my salvation. Oh, yeah, I left it back on the nightstand. <laughs> okay, there it is. Yeah. So this passage of Scripture, this, this Hebrew 6 bit, which we're about halfway through the sermon at this point. Not necessarily my sermon, but the Hebrew sermon. <laughs> we're about halfway through the sermon, and, and the author of Hebrews is telling them, look, we can't keep going back just to the basics and start over again. I mean, at some point, you all got to grow up, and, and you, you, got, you have to learn what, what we're really all about. And then it says this part about there's no going back. 
Like if you've fallen away, there's no salvation there. Now, you hear that in the context of a, a contemporary Christian, you know, Protestant, evangelical, Pentecostal, charismatic kind of place. And it sounds like what I heard as a kid, like you're constantly either, we were in constant, you know, fear, really, about kind of losing our salvation. And our Baptist brothers and sisters did not have that concern. And of course, neither did our Presbyterian brothers and sisters, right? Because the saints persevere. They were chosen. God saved them. They could not but be saved. And then our Baptist brothers and sisters kind of practiced uh, eternal security um, was a term that got used. Or uh, what, we, what we, the Pentecostals, referred to them as once saved, always saved. Remember those terms? Do people still use those terms? They do? Okay. This passage in Hebrews has nothing to do with any of that. <laughs> I mean, we, we've taken that passage in Hebrews and we used it to argue, right? And particularly those on one side of, of the Christian circle would tell people on the other side of the Christian circle, you're wrong because right here, Hebrews 6 says, when you fall away. So it's possible. It's even probable. I've done it myself. <laughs> yeah. The letters in the New Testament, the ones written by Paul, are all titled according to the recipients. So Romans wasn't written by Romans, but to the Romans. Yeah? Corinthians, Thessalonians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all those, right? Uh, first, second Timothy and Titus. Timothy wasn't written by Timothy, it was written to Timothy. Second Timothy was written to Timothy the second. No, just kidding. Um, I should stop telling jokes and just preach the sermon. <laughs> Hebrews, the other letters are written according to their author. Like James wrote James. Peter wrote Peter. John wrote John. Jude wrote Jude. Hebrews is kind of the odd one out. We don't know who wrote it, but it is, it is titled according to its recipients. When it's, we call it Hebrews because it was written to the Hebrews, to the Jews, right? Um, Hebrew is just an older name for the, for the big group, right? Jew was the name for just Judah, right? So if you're from Judah, you were a Jew. But if you're this bigger group, Hebrews would have included the entire kind of tribes, all the tribes. And so what is this author of of Hebrews trying to say in this passage, where the whole, the whole argument has to do with the superiority of Jesus or the uniqueness of Jesus, right? It's Jesus, not the angels. It's Jesus, not Moses. It's Jesus, not the high priest. It's Jesus, not the sacrificial system. So what would Hebrews of that day might do, particularly in the face of potential persecution. They might step away from Jesus, fall away, and go back to their sacrificial system. Go back to just keeping uh, Passover and Pentecost and tabernacles and making burnt offerings and cereal offerings and, and Yom Kippur, right? The whole Day of Atonement. That's their other option. And that's the option that the author of Hebrews is saying is now vacuous. It's empty. 
it's, it's, uh, it's completely ineffective. That's what you can't go back to. This is not a matter of once you've made your profession of faith or been baptized, whether or not you will sin or not. Surely that's going to happen. Just, just curious here. How many of you have been baptized? Show of hands. All right. How many of you, since you've been baptized, have sinned? Right. Okay. So, so, it's not, so it's not a matter of being sinless. I mean, completely without sin, right? Because if we sin, we can confess our sins, and God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? That's what John tells us. So it's not about that. So what would be something that would be kind of useless? What would be something that there's no salvation in? And it's their system. It's the sacrifice. Like, I don't, you might think at this point, this text is not very applicable to me because we don't do animal sacrifices. I'm kind of counting on that. Um, I'm not, not going to look. I don't want you to raise your hands. But if any of you think that you can, like, catch a squirrel or a rabbit or go out and buy a sheep and slaughter it and in the process somehow be right with God, uh, the writer of Hebrews says no. That's, that's not an option. And that's what they're speaking of here. If you've tasted the heavenly gift, if you receive the Spirit, there's no going back. Going back doesn't mean back to smoking your cigarettes and playing cards on Friday night. Going back means going back to a way of knowing God that is now redundant, is now not the way that we know God. Like, the way we know God is Jesus. So we fast forward, we get up to chapter 10, and the author of Hebrews hits us again. He says, no sacrifice remains. So the death of Jesus was not just the end of sacrifices. It was the sacrifice of sacrifices. Like, it actually brought the whole killing system to an end. It's like, this is not the way God's going to work. God is not the one who kills. God is the one who gives life. Like, we crucified Jesus. We did. Right? We're part of that group. But even though people killed Jesus, God resurrected Jesus. And the resurrection is God's answer to the crucifixion. And that's where we find ourselves when we get to Hebrews chapter 11. So Jesus is superior to the angels, he's superior to Moses, he's superior to the high priest, he's superior to the sacrificial system. There's no going back, there's no sacrifice that remains. All there is, is Jesus. It's not Jesus and. There's no plus after that. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. You make the mountains tremble. Jesus, Jesus. We sing about this. In Christ alone, I take my stand. I was an orphan, but God has prepared for me a city. I was an orphan, but the Father has adopted me. 
I'm now a part of that family. I have an older brother, and his name is Jesus. So here's the point then. If Jesus is the all in all, the end all and the be all, then in what way do any of us ever participate in Jesus' salvific work? Jesus is the Savior of the world. We're part of the world, so we're part of that which Jesus is saving. But how how do we get to participate? How do we enter into that? And that's where we started today. Hebrews 11. There is no sacrifice. There is no system. Even systems that we have come up with are still just systems. The only thing there is is Jesus. And the only way we relate to that is faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. And here's the kicker. This is the plot twist we didn't expect. Is that it's always been about faith. For a while, we had mistakenly thought it's about sacrifices. Or we thought it's about saying this prayer. Or we thought it's about doing this activity. Or we thought we had to jump through this hoop. No, it, it, it isn't now, nor has it ever been that. It has always been faith. So the author of Hebrews backs up to Abraham. And, he, and he's telling the story of Abraham. And he has lots of other people he's going to eventually tell us about. Uh, there in, in the rest of uh, chapter 11. You know, Enoch and, and Jephthah and, and Deborah and just on and on and on, all these people who didn't actually see the salvation kind of come in their lives, but they trusted. They put their trust in God. They didn't rely on themselves. They didn't have to do anything. <laughs> there's, nothing, there's nothing that you have to do. There's no secret way. Right? Because it's not about you. It's about God. It's about what God has done through Jesus. It's about Jesus' faithfulness. Do you know why we can put our faith in Jesus? Because Jesus is faithful. Because Jesus has done all there is to do. Jesus comes and he does things and he says things that in the Old Testament only Yahweh could do and say. But then Jesus also comes and he does things and he says things that Israel was always supposed to do and say, but had often failed to do. So he, he kind of closes the covenant from both sides. He does all that the divine needs to do, and he does all that humanity needs to do. It is Jesus' faithfulness that makes the whole thing work. God's plan of salvation is rooted in Jesus, and Jesus fulfills it all. And now... He just asks us to trust. Trust in that. Put your faith here. This is what those from the days of old, on this big family tree that we've been talking about all summer, 
these kind of family ties, these family stories. Father Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Deborah, Ruth, on and on and on. Mary and Martha and Peter and John and James. How did they become part of the community? Faith. They put their trust in Jesus. And that's all we're asked to do. Put our trust in Jesus. He is the faithful one. There's this geyser out in Yellowstone, right? I haven't been there, but I liked geography when I was in high school. And it goes off on this real regular basis. What do we call that geyser? Old Faithful. You know who the real Old Faithful is? Jesus. That's right. Jesus is not the answer to every question. You know? what's, what's small, furry, um, has a tail, gathers nuts. Squirrel, very good, right. Jesus was not the answer to that question. But Jesus is the answer to this question. Who do you put your trust in? Jesus. Whose faithfulness makes this whole thing work? Jesus. And so Jesus just invites us to come, come to the table, right? Receive forgiveness. Be reconciled to God and to one another. And then go and share that news with others. Tell them that, that they too are, are welcomed. Tell them that they too are forgiven. Tell them that they, they too can put their trust in Jesus. And that's all it needs. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Gender doesn't matter. Sex doesn't matter. Nationality doesn't matter. And we need to hear this these days because we're trying to make everything else matter except what matters. And the only thing that matters is Jesus. Pretty good sermon, I think. I didn't write it. I read it. It's called Hebrews. It ends like this. <clears throat> it says, after they've you know, said, you know, Jesus is superior to all these things, He's the one and only. He's unique. There's nothing else like him. And all you have to do to be a part is trust. Right? Put your trust in him. Like all these other people have done. And then it ends, um, Hebrews 12 then opens with this phrase, this great cloud of witnesses that's kind of encouraging us to kind of keep on trusting. That great cloud of witnesses includes a lot of people, but at the very least, it includes all those faithful people that just got named in chapter 11, right? From Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and on down, or even before Abraham, Enoch and those guys, Enoch and Noah, all those folk, right, had put their trust in God. All of those folk are now part of that great cloud of witnesses. And I would say that those cloud of witnesses are now populated by centuries, millennia, of other people who have put their trust in Jesus. People that we know, loved ones who are now with the Lord, are part of that cloud of witnesses. They're, they're just there saying, come on, keep it up. Put that smile back on your face. Just trust in Jesus. 
They're with all of those family members, this family tree, these family ties that carry us through the centuries down to our own very lives. And one day, the Lord willing, we too will join that cloud of witnesses and we'll become part of the group that encourages others to keep on, to keep the faith, to not get distracted by a bunch of do's and don'ts, to put our trust in the one and only Jesus of Nazareth. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.